So does it just not storm there at all? Like what? It, well, <laughs> it rains as we are known for. But right. once it gets any kind of ice, the like hills are really bad, and nobody's used to driving in snow. And then on top of that, yeah, and we don't. Oh, I think you were going to say the same thing. I was going to say the city's not prepared for it. Oh yeah, not prepared for it, and we don't like use a lot of salt on the roads because they don't want it to like hurt the ecosystem, which is nice. Yeah. But it means that we're just like can't use roads. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm lucky that I work from home and my wife works from home, so we just. We stocked up and we've just been letting the snow pile up outside and not going anywhere for like five days now. But my wife's from Canada, from the north of Alberta, and uh, is just like, can't believe, how, like, this is so absurd to her. Like, what are you talking about? The city can't function now? It's just the snow. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like minus 40, like six months up there. <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. But yeah, we, I mean, did you did you grow up here? I grew up in Oregon, and then I've been in okay. Seattle for about eight years. Well, I assume it's probably the same in Oregon, but I remember when I was a kid growing up in Seattle, I remember a lot more snowstorms. You know, there were there were big, there were a lot of snow days. There were big ice storms and stuff like that. And and over the years, it's become few and far between. There might be one, you know, little burst of snow or two every winter and that's about it and it'll so this is really out of character yeah exactly so yeah the, the the entire region is basically crippled right now but it's kind of fun you know it'll be fun until the like cabin fever kicks in for everybody yeah yeah <laughs> i'm really good at entertaining myself uh, inside so. <laughs> and see here i'm in the i'm in the southeast and it's the exact opposite like my husband and i we get hurricanes here in savannah and he's not used to it at all but i grew up in miami where we do get hurricanes <laughs> and we'll mm -hmm. get you know a category three or a category four hurricane and my husband is like checking the the doors and windows like literally days before the hurricane like oh my god Aww. is the wind coming well he has to protect is it raining the <laughs> is the wind coming oh my god and i'm like chill out nothing's <laughs> happening everything's gonna be fine <laughs> well, this that, is nothing that's how my wife was that's how my wife was with the storm because to her like it, it's weird that everyone's freaking out so she's like it, should we be freaking out is this weird here because this is normal to me but everyone's acting like it's crazy like are there going to be mobs walking down the street with guns? Are people going to knock our doors down? I'm like, no, it's not, it's not a zombie apocalypse. We're all going to just be in our houses, just staying warm. It, it's all going to be fine. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, the statewide freak out uh, is, is something to behold for, for someone who isn't familiar with how bad we are dealing with extreme winter weather here. Mm -hmm. It was nice. kind of spooky. We went to the grocery store like two days ago and just all of the vegetables were gone. <laughs> and just like shelves yeah. were yeah, like it's empty. It's like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, we realized we didn't have a show some, uh, snow shovel. So we tried to stop at Walmart on like Friday or something the last day before it got, you know, really kicked in. And it was like, it was mayhem there. It was just completely crazy. Lines all the way back to the back. No equipment of any kind in stock. So Jesus. decided not to shovel any snow. I'm just stand up. <laughs> nice. Well, we should probably do an intro here now that we're uh, several minutes in. <laughs> Welcome to the 62nd episode of The Sirens of Scream, the geek podcast that proves sometimes dead is better. My name is Jackie DeVore, and my co-host tonight is Sierra Hauk. Unfortunately, we are down one Melissa Megan tonight. That's right. And tonight we are joined by a very special guest, a man who can really only be described as a warlock of various forms of art, Rob Sheridan. <laughs> well, thank you. I've never been described as a warlock before. I like that. <laughs> yeah, you can file that name away. <laughs> Put it on the and, 
Rob, thank you so much for joining us here. We are very, very happy to have you. Thanks for having me. We like to do something with guests. We actually haven't done this in a while, but we had a very specific ask to do it with you. Something called Grill the Guest. Oh, God. So, we have three questions for you. Okay. First of all, there are zombies at your door. What weapon do you grab? How do you sneak out of the house unnoticed? And then what is your plan from there? Okay. I'm going to grab, like, an axe, I think. Because I've been playing a lot of Resident Evil, and I'm, I really suck at headshots with the gun. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to go with something that I can just whack right at the neck and know that I'm getting them where I need to get them. You know, just straight for the head, something I can really aim clearly with, keep them at bay. I and just, then, okay, sorry to interrupt. I was, just had the thought oh, that, oh, that being a shorter person, I just realized how hard it would be for me to, like, actually get to people's heads, like, if they're too tall. Mm, that would mm, be hard. Yeah, so you might, you might want I might need a long, yeah. yeah, I might need a long range. Yeah. Or maybe go yeah. with a shotgun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I'm, I'm, about almost six feet, so I've got like right at head. You know, my arms get yeah, right at head uh, height. So uh, unless unless there's a bunch of little ones coming at me, then I won't know what to do. I don't know. There's a, <laughs> like a elementary school of zombies coming for me. That's, that'll throw me off. Uh, and now, what was the follow up? What was the next part? Next part of that is how do you sneak out of the house unnoticed, and then what's your plan from there? I would I would try to like lure them all to the front of the house and try and concentrate the zombie energy there. And I think then I'd go upstairs probably and climb out the window on the roof and uh, and try to like shimmy down on the side of the house or something. Some, something to distract them with the front entrance so that I could get out kind of a weird way where they wouldn't be hoarding around because it's not an obvious door or anything. So I think distraction would be my method there. And then... Good plan. Then... The next thing I would do is probably find some building to get into, like break into and try and hoard up in there for a little while. I don't think I'd want to run the streets if there were you know, zombies everywhere. So I'd probably try to find a place to hide away and just start fortifying myself pretty hard in there. I think fortification and, and isolation are, are good tactics zombie apocalypse good plan it works next question is if you could be any monster creature or horror villain who would you want to be and who would you most likely be Mm. i think i think i'd be a vampire because i'd be one of those like ann rice like sexy vampires you know yeah. It seems cool mm-hmm. to just be like young and pretty for, for eternity and just nice. like l- lure people into my web of seduction and turn them into vampires. That seems pretty cool. Nice. You just get to see all of the rest of the future unfold and just be cool and, and like sexy and weird the whole time, you know? For sure. Related, I just rewatched Queen of the Dam last week. How <laughs> nice. amazing was oh, it we wow. on that? Why did you do, why'd you do that to yourself? <laughs> well, I like to put on things while I'm working, things in the background mm-hmm. that I don't actively watch, so it, it can't be mm-hmm. too distracting, you know, something I can put out of my mind but is still kind of there. I do the same I do the same thing too, and I I can usually only do like comedies usually cuz like just words, like people talking cuz if it's too visual, I'll just end up getting mm-hmm. distracted. Yeah. But I still, How as cheesy it? as it is, I still love Aaliyah in it. She, she still just oh, yeah. walks like a snake, and she's still just the right amount of ridiculous. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't seen that since it came out. I don't think. Yeah, I remember my mother checking me out of high school to go see that in the theaters. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, wow. She literally came. She's like, "All right, That's... we're checking you out of school. Let's go see it." <laughs> That's some good mothering. <laughs> is the sexy vampire genre is that is that just all just Twilight now? Is there any is there any good versions of the old Anne Rice vampire genre left? Well, I would question. say what we do in the shadows is very charming, <laughs> but that's probably not the same oh, level yeah. of sexy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
like beta male vampire (laughs) (laughs) which i'm so excited for the tv show i know it's gonna be great i think the sexy vampire has morphed although i think what i recently oh go ahead i was gonna say i think what scott snyder has been doing with american vampire in the graphic novels uh uh, comics there has been fantastic Mm kind of because it kind of addresses how the whole sexy vampire has been morphing (laughs) over time and it kind of takes that and puts it on his head and gives it a gritty vampire but kind of in a sexy way too i haven't read that it's wonderful it's fantastic i i I recently finally made it through the entire twilight saga the rift tracks edition which is the (laughs) only way to watch it (laughs) and and all these years i'd been i'd been hearing like i just knew objectively that it was terrible and i just was like yeah this is a thing that's terrible that i don't need to deal with but when I actually watched it, and again, it's only watchable with the riff tracks, it is so much worse than I could have ever imagined. It's so bad. <laughs> it just blew my mind. Oh it's, like a, it's almost art in and of itself, how bad it is and how shamelessly bad it is. Just, it's incredible. That CGI baby <laughs> in the end. <laughs> Did you guys see that? No. It's one of those things that I kind of have always wanted to see because I'm curious about how bad it is. I might need to watch the Rift Tracks version then. Definitely watch the Rift Tracks version because you will be actually entertained the whole time. And you'll get to experience this bizarre phenomena that's so outside my like cultural wheelhouse that it was weird to dip into and just understand how... I'm not even like trying to like, you know, I just knew it was bad. I'm like, yeah, obviously that's bad, but seriously, it's really bad. Oh, God. Spectacularly bad. Definitely check it out with Rift Tracks. Nice. And it's like, you know, 10 hours long, the whole saga. (laughs) Have fun with that. All right. And our final Real the Guest question here is what is the first horror movie that you remember watching? Okay. I'll, this might be cheating. But I'll tell the story of how the first horror movie that I'm aware that I was present at was Alien in 1979. And my mom was pregnant with me, very (laughs) pregnant. And my dad took her to see Alien in the theaters when it came out. (laughs) And she was having a fucking panic attack because I was her first kid. And there's this scene with this thing with bursting out. Burst. Yeah, that is so not the right <laughs> movie in, to watch when you're I'm pregnant. There oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so she always tells me that story. And I was apparently kicking a lot during that movie. So some part of it, you know, soaked into me. That's and, hilarious. Uh, wow. That probably explains you're a lot. You're a poor mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, we have some uh, recommendations here. Sierra, do you want to tell us about your recommendations? Yeah, mine is this artist that I found on Instagram. Their handle is Handsome Devil's Puppets. Devil's with an S. It's, oh man, it's just like the best sideshow kind of creatures and horror movie veterans like Elvira, Edward Scissorhands, all is like these really weird puppets. And the way that she pulls bodies apart and like puts them together is really weird and everything just looks like it's kind of toiled over with all of this care that all of these characters really come to life it's really creepy it's super like unnerving is this a whole series of bram stoker's dracula puppets from the the 90s movie that's amazing you better believe it these are gorgeous (laughs) wow (laughs) rob i'm gonna send you this link here because this is amazing okay it's all pretty funky and there's like two-headed animals which are i have a a fondness for i think they're pretty cool but yeah she definitely likes a vampire for sure i think it's just one artist i looked on her website and i couldn't find like an actual name i think it's just one girl who does it okay i'm looking at it now yeah this is um it's pretty wild this is intense yeah oh okay cool these are incredibly well done and that's an instant follow there i like i like the robert smith puppet yeah he looks like he he looks like he just peeked into the Ark of the Covenant for like a second. <laughs> like a little extra horror vibe to him. It's cool. <laughs> Spider One is not playing on my worst fear at all. Oh no, it's totally fine. <laughs> I'm very comfortable with that one. <laughs> 
All right, I've got a couple of recommendations here I'm going to jump in with. First one is Monster Party, which is a movie that came out last year. Have either of you had occasion to watch this? No, I don't know what that is. I don't know Monster. if I've actually heard of it. Wait, I think I did see that. I actually found it on an article of horror movies you may have missed in 2018. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I did, I did see that. That was, yeah, that was one of those movies I think I found on the same type of list and and watched it last year. And it was super weird. It was weird, but it was actually really fun. The premise is three teenage thieves infiltrate a mansion dinner party that is secretly hosted by a group of recovering murderers for the social elite. Hmm. Yeah, the premise is honestly gold. It it is a fantastic premise. You know what I wish? I I only got lured in because of the premise. Like, that's, that's what led me to watch it. But watching the movie, I wish there had been some way that I could have seen it without knowing the premise because it really sneaks up on you you yeah. know like you you have to acknowledge the premise or otherwise no one's gonna watch it mm-hmm. right. but man it it really comes out of nowhere when it like turns you know i actually didn't know the premise when i watched it so it was oh really yeah it was kind of great except that they, they sort of build up what everybody's there for really long if you don't know yeah why everybody's there and it, it's kind of tension building in, I mean, it, it, it is a good way, but at, at some point you're like, just, just freaking say why everybody's there. Just get to the point. But yeah, I don't think it would detract from the enjoyment of it to know why everybody's there. But overall, I really love the way everybody just had a, so much fun with those roles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just Once it a, goes wild, it goes wild. Yeah, it really goes really, really wild. Lance Reddick in that role was something to behold. I mean, I don't think I've seen a role that Lance Reddick was in that I didn't like him in, but I've never seen him in anything like that. Yeah, yeah, that he was great in that. That's true. One thing I did catch was there were some definite nods to some like horror deep tracks there. Like at one point, two young boys are banging on a door with the young blonde girl hiding in there, screaming they just want to cut her fucking face off in the same tone that in The Shining, where Jack is screaming at Wendy that he just wants to bash her fucking brains in. Oh, that's excellent. Like, Uh Like the exact same delivery. And it took me a while to figure out why does that sound so familiar? But it is exactly the same kind of delivery. (laughs) And there's a point where you know how every kind of haunted house you go to, like any kind of haunted house that says adults only, and you will be scared out of your mind. When you leave the haunted house, there's always that guy that chases you with a chainsaw when you're leaving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they bring that back around, too. So oh, that's a good point. That's right. So there are, it, it, it tells me that this was written by people who who really love horror, mm-hmm. who really thought about that kind of yeah, thing. You could t- yeah, you could tell they had a lot of fun with it, for sure. And like, why why wouldn't you? I mean, you get to make a, a gory horror movie, like have fun with it. Jeez. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the gore effects in this in particular were just a lot of fun. So much fun. My other recommendation is kind of interesting here. A couple of episodes ago, I recommended a friend of mine that is a uh, vintage dealer, and she particularly deals in the gothic side of fashion. She goes by the name Audrey Roteburn in that <laughs> still makes era me of her. <laughs> I know <laughs> in that era of her business. But she recently actually started a band called Adorns, and it's a dark wave band and i absolutely love them it took me a while to get around to listening to them but they are phenomenal and you'll hear them at the end of this episode so i'm not going to say too much about them so that you can just listen to them when you get there cool and rob do you have anything for us i've been playing resident evil 2 past couple days i've been snowed in and i wasn't prepared for redone it was like it's i don't know if you guys play video games much but yes it's like really totally revamped from the original, which I haven't played since like the PlayStation two days. So that's been fun. And the other thing that that I got into recently is for Christmas, we got a PSVR and resident evil seven is playable in VR. And it's almost unplayably terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I don't know if you guys played resident evil seven. I did. I watched a let's play of it. 
I'm not good at video games, but I like to watch video games. And that was one that was really fun yeah, to that's, watch. That's, yeah, I, I, I played through it originally when it came out, and my wife watched and helped because she, she won't do the horror games, <laughs> but she likes to watch them. And trying it in VR, like, you know, when the zombies attack you, they come right up to your face. <laughs> and it is, it's, if you're not used to it, like multiple people who've tried it around me, have thrown the headset off in That's terror. Awesome. <laughs> it's so extreme. It's I I still have to try and like actually get through it in VR, but it is it is absolutely terrifying. So that's something if you really want a next level horror experience, <laughs> it's worth checking out. I I I hadn't thought of this until you mentioned two headed animals, but <laughs> since you mentioned two headed animals, I'll I'll throw another random recommendation in here the museum of death in los angeles <gasps> yes and apparently they now apparently they now have one in uh, new orleans as well this was something i discovered when i was living in la and we just walked past and there's this big skull at, at the entrance and we're like what's this and we go in and it's an actual museum just dedicated to all types of death and they have really weird uh, artifacts and, and relics and stuff in there uh, everything from like this, the jumpsuit that Ted Bundy was executed in to like a whole room full of animals, like Liberace's cat <laughs> that he had stuffed. Just strange, strange stuff everywhere. It's horrific and weird. And the, there's like a couple who runs it and they're super nice. It's like this goth couple and they have a, a two-headed turtle that's their pet. Oh, <laughs> wow. That you can... That, like when you get done with the museum, you come and they're like, "Hey, and I'm like, hey, you want to meet our turtle?" <laughs> and it's a two turtle. <laughs> so that's, that's hilarious. That's a, and they're like super nice, and the turtle's cool, and you know that. So that's something that uh, that I just thought of now, but that's very on brand for all of us, <laughs> and includes two headed animals. Nice. So this is the point in the podcast where we take a break and then we come back and talk about our topic, which will be high level, the comic coming out by Rob. So we have just so many things that we can and want to talk to Rob about. To give a brief introduction of Rob and his works, he is an incredibly talented photographer, illustrator, glitch artist that previously worked with Nine Inch Nails for something like 15 years. Rob, this is a random side note, but you are tangentially responsible for me going to my first like real out of town concert because i was hanging really? a, yeah i was hanging a uh, poster on my wall that you definitely created when i was in high school and it, like it was a nine snails poster and my brother's girlfriend walked by saying hey you like nine inch nails i'm like yeah i love them she's like oh i got an extra ticket for the show this weekend you want to go so that was your fault and <laughs> i love tour, you for what, it what tour was that the fragile oh, tour. thank you what tour was that oh the, the fragile tour yeah yeah that was my first tour with them nice <laughs> so uh yeah you, you toured with them for or you worked with them for 15 years right yeah about that yeah cool it was it was a hell of an introduction to the world <laughs> <laughs> i mean i was plucked fresh out of um, my freshman year in college and uh just dove right into the circus and started going on tour with the rock band. So it was, uh, it was quite an experience. Yeah. That's kind of wild. <laughs> <laughs> and beyond that, your solo artwork is positively gorgeous. We've actually recommended your glitch artwork on here before you have an entire series of or glitch artwork that I know yeah. I'm in love with. Oh, thank you. That was a really fun series to do. Um, I think for me, like, Growing up in the 80s, you know, horror was always associated with the aesthetic of VHS because you'd rent, you know, you'd rent, you know, from the video store some horror movies and watch them on the tiny TV on the VHS tape. And there's just something about the way that that texture feels that lends itself perfectly to horror and, and makes the images 
creepier in a way that I think calls back to something, you know, from your youth that's intrinsically connected to horror. Absolutely. But you are an art and creative director, editor, writer, and as we're about to find out, a storyteller. So tell us a little bit about High Level. I mean, High Level is is my kind of like first big um, original writing project that's out in the world. It's really exciting to me because I get to tell like a, a big, crazy sci-fi story and we get to bring it to life in comics, which is such an awesome medium to work in uh, because as a visual person, you know, we we get to dream things up and then they come to life on the page. And, you know, it's not that it's not that working in novels or something wouldn't be just as visual in a, in, in a sense, but actually getting to have the visuals right there on the page is, is really, really fun. So... High Level is a, we call it a post-post-apocalyptic story about um, hundreds of years in the future after the, the collapse of the American empire and what happens after people have rebuilt a new society after a climate apocalypse and how differently the 1% is going to survive that than the 99%. That's kind of the core of the larger story arc. That it starts out focused on this one character, thirteen, and her journey through this world, which is which is how we're going to discover what's going on. Excellent. My first question that really kind of strikes me as unusual is you're you're very much a visual artist, but you are not the actual visual artist for the series. Why is that? You know, I'd, I'd always wanted to do a comic book, and I I just thought the whole time like, well, obviously I would make the visuals myself for the comic book, and that was like a side project idea that just I never got around to because there's so much work involved in it. And even though I do illustration and, and that kind of art, I'm not, it, it's kind of like a side thing for me. So I, I don't do it professionally and I'm not very fast at it really. So right. probably would take me a year to draw an entire comic book. When Vertigo came to me and asked if I wanted to pitch a comic, they were more interested in what story I might have to tell based on, um, the work I'd done with Unch Nails and, and our Year Zero project. And they weren't even like, they weren't even asking me to draw it. And it was kind of, it was kind of refreshing and it was kind of relieving that they like wanted me to just focus on the storytelling. And they said, we'll pair you up with really good artists. And, you know, it was kind of nice to have that off my back because, you know, the, the skill of comic book art is so specific. Mm-hmm. It's a really intense skill. And these guys like, really know how to do all kinds of stuff that I never was trained in. Like, you know, just how to draw the same person from every possible different angle and position and facial expression. That's a really unique skill. So it it's actually kind of freeing to be the art director of it. You know, I get to, I get to visualize it all. And then the artist bring it to life. So tell me a little bit about the world. It actually kind of reminds me a lot of Borderlands. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. Borderlands in and out a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, a number of people have mentioned Borderlands as a comparison, which is a, which is a good one. And I, I, um, it's hard for me to kind of talk about because the first issue is a lot like Borderlands, but where the story's going, it's kind of a journey through. Uh, as as the journey gets closer to the center of power of this world, it gets more and more and more hard sci-fi. So let's say by issue probably six or seven, it won't look anything like Borderlands. It's going to look like a, like a cyberpunk dystopia. So Very cool. um, kind of the, kind of the fun of the first arc is that we get to travel from one part of the world where 13 starts out to very, very, very different types of parts of the world. There's a, there's a tribal village and a sunken city and there's mm. a neon city of sex. And then there's like a dystopian kind of brutalistic future world. And then there's more <laughs> that I can't talk about, but it's going to be really fun because it, it never really stays in the same place and it never stays in the same aesthetic, but every step of the journey, like has something to say about society. And we have our, our main character 13 is kind of our anchor this journey so mm-hmm. we can get as wild as we want with the journey because we're following it through her eyes that sounds so much fun that must be so fun to collaborate too about with the artist to be like okay let's do this and then let's do this and let's go really crazy with this like 
it's not going to oh, get awesome. boring at all. Like, yeah. yeah, like every morning it's like Christmas because I, you know, I'll write things like, okay, these were, these are giant ungulate animals who were genetically created at the end of society as a way to produce more meat and they're gigantic, but they weren't meant to run free. So they, they look like this or whatever. And then I get a drawing back and he's like brought it to life. And there's this herd of these weird wild animals oh, running that's amazing. across the path of the, of the military hover bikes that our characters are riding and like just <laughs> stuff that I, that I dream up and describe. And then it comes to life. <laughs> and then, like my artist Barnaby who's also the co-creator. I've never met him. He lives, he lives in Indonesia. Wow. So we just, we've been doing this whole thing over email. And so I just get like these awesome little like packages in the morning to wake up to and see this new art. And it just, he's so good at not only bringing it to life, but making it even better. And it's like, it's been a great collaboration and, and it's, it's just nothing but fun. It's really cool. The way you keep talking about the society, it, it focuses on a lot of things that seem to be going on in our society today. So are there elements of today's society that you're taking into this comic? And basically, where are your influences coming from? I know that you're very outspoken in, in politics in general. So I'm wondering where these influences are coming from and exactly what we can expect to see reflected from today's society. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole idea of high level originated from things that were concerning to me in, in our society right now and in politics right now. And that led to thinking about a post climate change future and kind of the convergence of a climate apocalypse with what I call an apocalypse of greed, which is how rampant income inequality is, mm -hmm. you know, when you have 23 billionaires controlling more wealth than 50% of the entire world. If we don't fix that, we're careening towards a terrible future and a future that's going to be a nightmare for most people. And the 1% are going to coast through it with all the money they have. So that was kind of the inspiration for the concept of what high level is in the book, which is kind of the, the ultimate bunker for the elites. And it's so much time has passed and so much history has been erased that it's viewed as a Mecca by the people in the outlands where we first started the story. And there's a lot of commentary there on capitalism, on religion, and basically systems of power that are used by the few to manipulate and control the many against their best interests. One of my favorite things about science fiction is it's fantastic escapism that when it's done well also has a mirror effect to show us you know things about ourselves in an indirect way and um horror is the same way as well mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of what i want to do with this i want to make what is ultimately a fun exciting sci-fi adventure but over the course of it is going to have a lot of themes that play directly into where we are right now as a society. Is one of those themes that the 99% rise up and just eat the wealthy? Or is that, that going to happen there? Yeah, let's just see what happens. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> You'll have to see what happens. <laughs> I will say, though, that w one of the things I didn't want to do is, is make a doom and gloom dystopia. So mm. it, it can be described as a dystopia, I guess, because this obviously isn't the future we we ideally want <laughs> for the world, but I did want it to be fun. I wanted it to be colorful. And in the end, I wanted it to be more of a tale of revolution than a hopeless depiction of the future. So mm -hmm. maybe that gives you a little clue. It definitely okay. struck me when I was reading it too, that like, even though there are so many like horrible aspects of society that are really amplified in this world, there's also this woman who is like so badass and when somebody tries to say something sexist to her she can just punch him in the face and like all the people around her in the bar it's like a whole rainbow of of genders and different people and like the characters i think are also p like pushing the good things we want to see happen yeah i wanted well so like the idea of where the story starts out this community called anita which is far south in a part of the world where the the people up in high level think it's not possible to live there, but these people are survivors and they found a way to live there and, and have kind of a thriving community that I, I think I once described it as Mad Max by way of Haight Ashbury. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like survivalist future, but it's like really expressive. 
then part of the idea of that bar scene was to take the the trope of like the rust biker bar, but also have all of the like all the restrictions of societal expectations removed because mm-hmm. a lot of history has been erased. So there's no institutions that say there's anything wrong with this big buff guy wearing a, a tutu and fairy wings in the bar, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but still, if you fuck with them, he's going to, he's going to beat the shit out of you. Yeah. So I wanted to create this like dichotomy of like free expression because they didn't, they didn't have an, any institutions that told them not to express themselves freely, but they're still survivalists. And, um, and that's the kind of the world that 13 is, has come up in and and that's kind of why she's very expressive but but also very tough because she has to be but as the story moves on we'll we'll get closer to systems of control and power and conformity that will seem very foreign to 13 and it'll be a contrast between how these people live and survive versus how the people who have sacrificed a lot of freedom and expression for what they think is safety or the quest for a higher level, whether that's religion or money or whatever. Related to that, in the in the first issue, uh, when they talk about Ascension and Anita, I noticed that 13's associates there, she talks to two different people about Ascension, and they have vastly different views on what it entails. Mm-hmm. That speaks volumes about how different people view what's going on in high level and how life actually is there. So that... That seems telling about what everybody actually knows about what's going on in that society. Is there going to be a lot more of that, or it's, is it kind of just clouded in what's happening there? And As we get closer and closer to, like, as the journey progresses towards high level, we'll learn more about what's actually going on there. But then there's kind of mysteries above that and above that and above that. But the idea of this part of the world is that it's so, it's so kind of disconnected from all of that, that this city where there's supposedly all this prosperity and, and hope and ascension to fortunate glory, it has just become a myth. And everyone's got a different idea of what it is because one of the things that I wanted to do with this future was have this kind of technological reset. And, and thinking about how the climate apocalypse and mass migrations and war would completely disrupt all our infrastructure, would delete all our data, you know, if data centers get flooded and stormed away and burned up, burned down, you know, imagine 50 more years of everyone completely relying on everything being connected to the internet. And then what happens if that infrastructure is destroyed? So move a couple hundred years beyond that. And you've got several generations of pure survival that don't have a recorded history of what happened. It's all oral history now. And that leads to a lot of myths about the world, about the past. These people are scavengers, so they're getting bits and pieces of things from the past, but they don't have any context for them. And that's kind of where we're at at the beginning of the story, where no one really knows what high level is, but people who are more prone to seek the optimism of myth have created this grand vision of it in their head. You know, the one character who describes it that way. I love that you describe it as a post-post-apocalyptic adventure there <laughs> yeah, yeah one, of, one of our taglines was this isn't the story of what happened it's the story of what happens next nice. so <laughs> you know there's trickles of, of information here and there about how it got to this point but that's not the core of what the story is about the story is about the idea of how the different ways different facets of society have rebuilt after this and then where it goes from there you know which which of the worst parts of society have held on and which people have learned to move forward in a different, maybe better way. Another world it reminds me of is, do you watch or read The Expanse at all? I, I haven't seen The Expanse. I've heard it's really good. Oh man, it's amazing. It it reminds me of what might be going on on Earth in The Expanse while everybody's mm-hmm. dealing with what's mm-hmm. going on in space. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I've, I've heard really good things about it. It's incredible. Well, the, yeah, I mean, the, the main, like, the first issues are hard because you have to... You know, I wanted this kind of quiet beginning, you know, with, with this character who's out in the middle of nowhere and then to build up gradually more and more and more as the story goes on and get bigger and bigger and bigger as she discovers the world. But in a first issue, you have to hook people. So you have to kind of like tease a bunch of the bigger mysteries. 
And that's why you have these like people describing high level in different ways. But ultimately, where this first arc is heading is kind of leading into a much, much, much bigger story arc that's all figured out. I'll just say it's going to get really weird and it's not going where you might expect. Good. (laughs) (laughs) That's so exciting. And there's some good sci-fi horror coming later, later on in the book. (laughs) Speaking of horror and teasing things, there was a particularly brutal and surprising scene in the first issue. Will we see more of that? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) That scene uh, that you're (laughs) that you're talking about. It's kind of a plot device in a way, but but it's but there's a reason that it all happened the way it happened. That brand of sci-fi horror is going to come back in a big way later on in the nice. series. I wonder what that was like describing to your artist there. I must be fun. Actually, that I think we can talk about this because the, the character has been shown in promotional images and whatever. The character of like I call the high priest of this kind of crate cult that fetishizes cybernetics. They they found this old military industrial cybernetics factory and believe that people of the old world were mostly mechanical and, and robotic. And they think that eliminating flesh is, is purifying. And then they want to replace as much of their flesh as they can with cybernetic parts. So I wrote this originally in the script as these guys being really like weak and frail and spindly because they were so addicted to cutting off their limbs and replacing them with, with DIY cybernetic surgeries <laughs> that it was causing all these infections and they were getting oh, God. sickly. But they, they're believers that if they just keep eliminating the flesh. The, uh, so I, I originally wrote it much more kind of bizarre and, and the, the, the priest was supposed to be this hunched over weird skinny guy with these like kind of broken spider legs that that were like all off on each other <laughs> and like because they've been just assembled from old rusty parts like and and they're all just dying but they're just like clinging to their face so hard and then barnaby the penciler comes back and he he draws this guy who's like this buff rad super villain you know <laughs> like he drew him so insane and I was kind of conflicted because I'm like, this is nothing like, this doesn't even make any sense. Why would he be like this big buff supervillain guy? <laughs> but on the other hand, it's rad. <laughs> yeah, it looks awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's, I was a little bit torn. I'm like, this, this isn't what I imagined, but it's pretty fucking cool. So that morning I, I emailed my editor and I was like, um, like, this is really cool, but like, it just, like, logically, it doesn't make sense that, um, that this guy would be like all buff and strong and like, and like evil like this, because they're supposed to be dying with these cybernetic attachments that they're doing. And I was like, overthinking it too much. And my editor just wrote back. <laughs> he said, wait, I, I have the email here, I think. Well, I don't have it handy, but he said something to the effect of, to quote, to quote the directors of Crank 2 High Voltage, sometimes you have to trust the logic of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that, was <his> only res- <laughs> that was his only response to this long email I sent him, like trying to rationalize how this would work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really okay, well, there it is. It. It's done. This, yeah. is, this is the guy now. This is how it's going to be. What a perfect sometimes response. Sometimes it just needs to be awesome, and that's all that matters. <laughs> Yeah. And then I was kind of sad that, you know, he gets killed off right away. No. <laughs> you know, it's comics. Everyone can come back. Right. <laughs> especially when yeah, there especially are cybernetics robot guys. involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some way we can bring him back. Hmm. That's hilarious. You can't argue with that, you know? Like, right. He didn't, he, didn't even, he didn't even, like, address any of my points. He like, just said that. I'm like, okay, you win. Is there any kind of comeback to that at all? No. <laughs> No, there isn't. Okay, you're right. (laughs) How long have you been fleshing this idea out? Like how you said you've you've wanted to make a story like this for a long while. Like how long has this been kind of percolating? Um, I think I've been, I've been like drawing a character kind of like 13 for years, like many, many years. And I think that was kind of like 
born out of how much I loved Aeon Flux when I was a teenager. I don't know if you guys have seen yeah. that. Yeah, that's fair. That was like the weirdest thing I'd seen on, on TV. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't seen American animation that looked like that when I was like 12, 13. And years went by where I'd, you know, I'd draw kind of different iterations of this badass girl with a robot friend. You know? <laughs> and I've been drawing the little robot, Ezra, since I was a kid. I kind of fleshed out a little bit of a world here and there, and it changed from time to time, but I never really did anything with the character. I was really into cyberpunk a couple of years ago, and I had just drawn a new kind of cyberpunk iteration of her right around the time that Vertigo contacted me asking if I had a pitch. And it was perfect because I had this character that's been looking for a story this whole time, and everything just kind of converged perfectly where I had the character and then I had all these things and I wanted to address in terms of storylines and politics and my own life. And it all kind of came together, but we had such a long development time. This was like a year and a half ago that I first started putting the pitch together. And then just scheduling wise, they didn't slate me for release until now. So <laughs> it's been a long, long time that, mm -hmm. that I've been living in this world and no one else has. <laughs> so <laughs> the good, the good part about that was I fleshed out, tons and tons of backstory and basically drafted up an, a whole 18 issue arc of the entire story of what happens. So I don't have to worry about, you know, falling into that trap of making it up as I go along right? because we know what happens. <laughs> and that's also fun because we can tease things along the way and they'll actually have satisfying answers later. It's not just, you know, farting into the wind with just <laughs> weird stuff that never gets sorted out, you know? Right. I hate when stories do that. Yeah, that's the worst. So yeah, so it's been a long time and it's it feels weird to finally like finally actually be getting started when it feels like it started so long ago. Is it kind of strange to have been kind of living in that high level world in your head for the past year and a half and then now see it released into the world here in just a matter of days? It's yeah, it's super strange. It's really weird because this has been my reality for, for over a year. And part of that is like, at this point, because we've developed so much of the story and, and I mean, I just, um, I'm writing issue four right now and we've got all 18 issues plotted out. It's really weird to put an issue out, just one issue. Cause it's mm -hmm. like, it's like putting out the first 15 minutes of the movie, you know, right. and then being like, okay, <laughs> in tuned. a month, come back. There's more. You know, in the way that we consume media now, one little chapter a month seems very strange. It's it's hard to like, it's hard to tell non-comics people how that works. Like, no, 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 just stick around and subscribe and remember that's gonna you're gonna get the next 15 minutes <laughs> in four weeks. Right. So so that's a little weird because I know it's gonna happen and I'm like chomping at the bit to like get the story going and like show people all this other stuff. But you gotta you gotta be patient with it. I I just I was thinking about it like if you showed someone like the first ten minutes of Star Wars and it's like mostly this whiny guy in the desert, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, Okay, trust me, it's gonna go to space, there's gonna be all this crazy shit that happens, there's laser swords. <laughs> But you gotta you gotta wait another month to see the next fifteen minutes, okay? <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's, it's a strange thing. But I, I hope it. You know, it's hard to find an audience when you're a new comic. Right. So I, I hope this finds the right audience and uh, and people come along for the ride. And this is an eighteen chapter saga, right? That's the plan. I mean, uh, we're only guaranteed six issues, so hmm. that's the first arc, and. Uh, it's going to really suck if it doesn't continue after that because issue six has a huge cliffhanger. Oh, <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully people, hopefully people will read it and we'll get to do the full 18 issue story. Sierra noticed something here that I want to point out. Oh yeah. I felt really clever when the treatment for her inner thoughts for 13's thought line is blue for the first half of it. And then as she's dyeing her hair, it, it turns into pink. And I was like, Oh, that's such a clever little, little move yeah yeah i i really like that detail too that scene is one of my favorite scenes in the book the first issue it was inspired by this idea that like 13 she's got everything kind of in, in her mind she's got everything figured out she's got her own little world she's got everything just the way she likes it and all of a sudden 
some things are starting to change that are out of her control with the military presence now in her backyard and Jasper deciding he's leaving for high level. You know, she doesn't like these changes that aren't in her control. And I was inspired by my wife and at some point in our lives when when things were kind of chaotic and nothing seemed to be going right and she just like got drunk and just locked herself in the bathroom and decided to cut her own hair. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's, and it's kind of like, everything's out of my control, but this is in my control. I'm going to give myself bangs. I have know? literally <laughs> done that before. And, <laughs> yep. Same. Yeah. <laughs> so originally in that scene, she was going to cut and dye her hair. And that's why she has short hair on the cover of the first issue. That's, that's how she was intended to be. But it was then my wife who said, you know, maybe you should keep her hair longer for a little while. Cause it's a lot easier to cosplay. That's a fair point. She's so smart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can always put, you can always put a wig on, but it's hard to make your, your hair short. Yeah, that's true. So I ended up changing it so that she just dyes her hair. It's the same expression of just like, she's feeling like she's losing control. So she just wants to control something. So she can control her hair color, you know? Yeah. And her inner thoughts are expressed in that way. Cause eventually later on, she's going to cut her hair and it's going to, the short hair look, but we decided to keep it long for a little bit longer, just like, purely for cosplay purposes. <laughs> <laughs> That's honestly brilliant. <laughs> Tell your wife we love that. <laughs> I will. <laughs> well, I think we're kind of out of questions here for you. We're, we're absolutely in love with the world you're building here and really excited to see where it's going. Thank you. I can't wait for you to read more. I, I cheated a little bit more. and sneaked this to my husband because this is like when you when you <gasps> sent me Cheater. over the description. I know, but it's like <laughs> it's like you wrote the words for him. Like this is absolutely <laughs> the exact thing that he is in love with. I mean, as well as you you really kind of wrote it for us too i mean i i feel like this is the kind of comic that a lot of us are waiting for so mm-hmm. i feel like you're gonna i hope so i i tried to write it for people like i mean at the end of the day like they gave me an opportunity to write a comic book so i'm just gonna write a thing that i would like to read <laughs> that's is basically how i approached it yeah you know i wrote it very cinematically in a way that i think is something i hope people like who were really into comics at a time and maybe drifted away from them or maybe only just read here and there or people who've never read comics i think it's something you can pick up if you're a fan of 80s and 90s sci-fi movies and stuff like that because it it reads very much like that it's not something that's daunting if you've never read a comic book before so i'm hoping to bring new fans into comics with this one thing that i do want to embarrass you a little bit about before we let you leave okay (laughs) is is that something that i found out a few days ago that some people may not know about you rob is that you created what i would consider one of the first memes of the internet that stupid dancing baby i did that that dancing baby well i didn't now to, to be clear i did not create the dancing baby itself okay i popularized it by basically basically I was a kid learning in in high school, learning how to build websites on my own. And at that time, you had like your website with cool things and like links and stuff like that, you know. (laughs) And I had on some like, you know, I used to just like surf through FTP sites and BBS boards and just find this early 90s Internet and just find weird things. And I just found this creepy dancing baby that had no, it wasn't labeled in any way. It was just this weird clip of this CGI dancing baby. And I thought it was weird. So I put it on my on my page and like people kept asking about it. And so I was, you know, I was trying to learn HTML. So I made the unofficial dancing baby homepage <laughs> where you could go and and see the and see the dancing baby. And I still I had no idea where it came from. It was just a thing. You know, so in that way I was, you know, I was the meme maker, I guess, you know, the same way that people take other content and and make it into memes now. And it was through that portal that the producer, Ali McBeal, ended up seeing it and then bringing into that show, Ali McBeal, and that's when everyone else saw it. And it was kind of like one of the first internet things to ever leave the internet and go into the mainstream pop culture. And that was my fault. What a weird <laughs> I, didn't, thing. I didn't make it, but it's my fault. But you're responsible <laughs> for it. Yeah. I am. And now, now apparently it's like, 
funny to be like referencing that again. Like I keep seeing it pop up as references now. Um, some of us remember the nineties rock and we're ashamed of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well we're at like, I guess audiences are at the age now where you can reference the dancing baby and everyone will know what it is. There was even a reference to it on the captain Marvel site the other day. And every time it's referenced now, everyone tags me in it. Like, blaming me like sorry guys I, I, i'm sorry i'm really sorry <laughs> look at what you did <laughs> oh god <laughs> on, on i mean on one hand it's like kind of cool to be like like responsible for one of the first like true internet memes that, that like left the internet into the real world but on the other hand, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe <laughs> through terrible. Maybe through all this, the creator will peek their head out and say, "Hey, I'm." <laughs> oh, oh no, they they did. Oh really? They did actually. They they did. Yeah, after it became a phenomena, it was this company that, that was creating um character studio, this 3D animation software, and it was just one of their tech demos that they made. And they once it started to take off. They jumped on that right away. And they're the ones who did all the t-shirts and all the merchandising yeah, and mm-hmm. stuff. And they were happy to they were happy to make a ton of money off that. And I didn't make any money. But, but you get all the blame. I, I get blamed and they get paid. And this, this doesn't seem fair. <laughs> well, you got that sweet HTML experience. Yeah. Yeah. The rest yeah. of us got that from, from MySpace. The, so, you know, whatever. This was before, before MySpace even. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today. We're all so happy about this comic coming out here. Oh, yeah. And well, I'm thanks sure so much that... for having me. I'm glad you guys are into it. Melissa must be feeling so sad that she missed this one because she's, yeah, is... she's our residence comics <laughs> fan. Yeah, not she's only is she our resident comics. comic fan, but this is like so far up her alley. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh. <laughs> Well, hi Melissa. <laughs> See you next time. Uh, I'll come. I'll come back after we're uh, we've got more story out there. We'll talk about it. That yeah, for good. sure. That'd be awesome. And yeah, if you're if you're around in Seattle, come out to yeah. the signing. It's gonna be at Comics Dungeon. Comics Dungeon. When will that be? And for other people, Saturday, February twenty third in Seattle. And where can people find your work and your comic there? Easiest place to pre-order the comic is just at highlevelcomic.com and more info there and links to where you can get it. And find my work at rob-sheridan.com. And you can find me just talking endless shit at Republicans uh, on my Twitter <laughs> at Rob Sheridan. Yes. <laughs> there you go. And we are Siren to the Scream. You can find past shows, show notes, links, anything related to us at sirentoscream.com. If you'd like to talk with us, come on our show, have us on your show, anything like that, email us at sirens at sirentoscream.com. Sierra, where can listeners find you? I am at Sierra Help on Instagram. You can see lots of cute pictures of my dogs. And on Twitter, I haven't been going on there because it makes me feel bad about the world. <laughs> so, that's that's very smart to, of you, actually. It's about very what smart. I have to offer right now. <laughs> and I am Jackie the Robot on Twitter, which is also where I yell at Republicans and apparently get yelled at for days about socialism. <laughs> and on Instagram, which is just honestly weird art and bunnies. And uh, Melissa, mm-hmm. who is not with us today, but she is normally Lissa Punch on Twitter and Instagram. And thank you very much for joining us. And Rob, I very much hope that we have you on again soon. I would love to. Thank you guys very much. Thank you.